do's and issues from a superior point of view. Everyone knows his music. It's a longtime symphony favorite. You know, usually we don't get much criticism when we play John Williams at all. <laughs> the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra plays John Williams. But first... Good morning, everybody. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the 38th Superior Days. All right, this wasn't the week to plan a leisurely drive to Madison, but even a winter storm couldn't stop Superior Days. We joined the Northwest Wisconsin delegates to the state capitol. Welcome to Simply Superior, I'm Robin Washington, and that was Superior Mayor Jim Payne you just heard, welcoming several dozen intrepid travelers to Superior Days in Madison this week. It's the annual event that brings local office holders, business and civic leaders, and students from northwestern Wisconsin to Madison to advocate for, well, the things we care about and need in our corner of the state. I said intrepid travelers because, as you know, if you've been anywhere in northern Wisconsin this week, this was not the time to be traveling. And the winter storm blasting much of the state meant members of the delegation either had to leave early or add extra days onto what's normally a two-and-a-half-day event. But the main thing is they made it, and so did I. Mayor Payne was among the first to greet us. Let's hear excerpts from his welcome, followed by his introduction and remarks by one of the main speakers to the group, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. Welcome back. It is my pleasure this morning to introduce the, the governor of Wisconsin. Now, not every governor has attended Superior Days every single year. It has been a, a you tradition for governors to address the Superior Days delegation to show their respect for the actual citizens of Wisconsin and to really round it off so we can say that we've met with everybody that's represented us. Disappointed to say it hasn't happened every year except with this governor who has never missed Superior Days, has never missed the opportunity to address this delegation. But the reason that I am so proud that he represents us uh, throughout the state of Wisconsin is the fact that he doesn't just address us here, this governor comes to Superior. And as you all know or will know over the week, one of the most impressive things about Superior Days is that we actually make the drive down here. And so you all know just how far it is but so does Tony Evers. Uh, so it is my honor to introduce the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Tony Evers. Thanks everybody, please have a seat. Thanks Mayor, very nice comments. It's always good to see you and County Board Chair Mark um, for your good work and thanks for bringing all these folks down here. And that's really important. It's part of democracy and sometimes I know Superior and North, Northwest Wisconsin feels a little out of sorts as far as the rest of the state, but uh, believe me, uh, every time I visit that area, uh, I love it and uh, you have a lot to be proud of. So thanks, thanks for being here today. And um, the past few weeks, in case you didn't know, we have a budget uh, that we we're going to talk about. I get, first of all, I gave my state of the state speech, and then my third biannual budget message as governor. And in those speeches, I was proud to share the strong financial position that we are have in the state of Wisconsin. And as a result of that, we have some really important priorities, and many of them impact you directly. 
First and foremost, uh, we've seen time and time again that our current systems for funding our communities, our local communities, um, is, any, is anything but robust and frankly it's unsustainable. For years, our communities across the state have been asked to do more uh, with less and make impossible decisions about what essential services to fund. And that's a problem, folks. And uh, I made that promise uh, when I first became governor. We haven't been able to resolve that. And uh, this time around, I think we are going to resolve that. I've always said when I'm speaking to people from the counties or to the municipalities or to the townships, the hard work of the state of Wisconsin is done there. And it's not that our state employees don't work hard, but uh, you know, issues around fire, police, uh, EMTs, uh, fixing the damn roads, you name it. Uh, public health, public libraries, it's all, it's all the stuff that you own. And we have, to make, uh, we have to make some progress. So in my State of the State address last month, I pledged my support for a budget provision to send 20% of the state sales tax revenue back to our local communities uh, for shared revenue. And I mean, and, and that's, an, that's an increase of uh, a little, it's right around a half a billion dollars. So 20% of the state's sales tax revenue would go back to you. And this is an area that I know we can and will find bipartisan support. We've got to. Local communities have been asked to do more with less for far too long. EMS to fire to libraries, local roads, infrastructure, you name it. And speaking of infrastructure, one of the cornerstones of my budget has always been our effort to invest in high-speed internet. And in my budget, we're proposing to make the largest investment in high-speed internet in our state's history with a $750 million investment. That's big. Uh, and as far as infrastructure goes, we're going to keep fixing the darn roads in the next budget, while at the same time paying down some, uh, some debt that we have, $380 million in state debt, helping to ensure that we have the infrastructure we need and saving taxpayers money in the long run. And also my transportation budget also includes $47.2 million in bonding to, be, to begin reconstruction of the Blotnick Bridge in Superior and in participation with the Minnesota Department of Transportation, ensuring this essential transportation route remains open and safe for all those who rely on it each and every day. So we're also making sure that our vital ports are getting the funds that will help maintain our harbors and ensure our ports are secure and reliable and strengthen our supply chains. We have in the past four years invested over three and a half million dollars in Superior's Harbor and plan to continue that investment by providing $16 million for future projects associated with our Harbor Assistance Program uh, statewide. And I've had the privilege of visiting uh, Superior countless times and countless times we visited the small businesses in Superior, downtown Superior in particular. And there's no denying that uh, small businesses are the backbone of our economy. 52% of the people of the state of Wisconsin are employed by small businesses. And you've really got some great small businesses in, in downtown Superior that we've been proud to support with our Main Street Bounce Back grant program like Jamrock, Blue Arrow Boutique, and the Cedar Barn. 
In my budget, we're going to continue our critical investments in small businesses, including $50 million to continue to make Main Street bounce back grant programs a permanent program for the state of Wisconsin. So we're going to invest in our also in our educator pipeline to make sure that our class sizes stay small. But most importantly, we're going to invest in our kids' mental health. We know kids are struggling more now than ever. Uh, our kids can only achieve their full and best potential when they can bring that full and best self to the classroom. And if we want to have a chance improving our kids' outcomes, then we have to shorten the odds, folks. So we're going to continue our Get Kids Ahead program that provides per-pupil payments uh, for schools to provide school-based mental health supports for our kids. We're also going to fully fund universal breakfast, as I said before, so that kids can stay engaged and focused on their schoolwork and not thinking about when they're going to get their next meal. But our kids aren't the only ones that are struggling. Uh, we've seen increased mental health and behavioral health issues among adults, including increased opioid and substance use disorders. So. I declare 2023 the year of mental health and we're going to get to work in our budget to make sure that every Wisconsinite has access to the resources and support they need to be successful, to participate in our workforce, of course, and to be active members of our communities. The bottom line is that this budget is about priorities, not politics. It's about getting back to basics and doing the right thing. So that's why I'm glad for events like Superior Days. When you come down to Madison, talk to your legislators, convince them of the right thing to do, because you're here to do the right thing and to fight for the priorities and needs for, of the folks that you represent in Northwest Wisconsin. And I know together we will build a great future, not only for the state of Wisconsin, but in particular, your part of the state. I know every time you come, it seems like you have a major snowstorm <laughs> back home and that should just give you more time and effort to convince legislators of the right thing to do. So thanks a lot everybody. Appreciate being here once again. Thank you. Those were excerpts from remarks by Governor Tony Evers speaking to members of the 38th Annual Superior Days delegation in Madison this week. Governor Evers is a Democrat, and for what seems like time immemorial, so were the holders of the Assembly and Senate seats for much of our region. That changed last fall with the election of three Republicans, Angie Sapig in the 73rd Assembly District, Chance Green in the 74th, and Romaine Quinn in the 25th Senate District. Green and Quinn also spoke to the group, with Quinn addressing and appearing to support one of the initiatives in the governor's state budget. That's a long-standing request by Superior Day's delegates for the state to allow local governments to retain 20% of state sales tax, particularly to pay for public safety and transportation projects. Here is Senator Quinn. So I haven't been able to go through your whole packet yet. I actually just got my copy this morning. But in terms of, I think in the past you're talking about a half percent sales tax designated towards local governments. That proposal's been around for a while. I have supported it ever since starting it. I think it's accountable, it has a referendum component, it sunsets, you have to keep adding it, it's earmarked. Um, so to me, it was a no-brainer because in my mind, debt is a tax. So let's not fool ourselves when we go and bond for things that we're not paying for. So it's just a matter of 
how we want to pay for it, when we want to pay for it, and how much does it cost. So I've always supported that, and that was around before Chance was even in. And so now, fast forward, legislators have been having um, work group meetings with the Counties Association, League of Municipalities, Towns Association, on a, on a shared revenue revamp, because we know, and all the reasons you know, whether you live in the city superior or out in the county, Douglas, or in your local township, um, the way we do shared revenue right now doesn't work. So an example, if you live in a township, townships have 28% of the state's population, and they get 5.7% of shared revenue. Well, tell me that's not fundamentally broke. No, maybe not if you live in a municipality, but if you live in a township, that doesn't make sense. So the idea was, and I think there's bipartisan support, the legislature's been working on it, the governor introduced his version of it in the budget, so I'm confident that between the two, we can find that agreement. So I'm excited because this could be the, the biggest fundamental transformation in how we fund local government in a generation, maybe generations. Um, so I think there's some real traction, real movement, and the fact that you keep legislators abreast of it is important because it doesn't matter where you live, uh, impacts all of us. And it's everything from streets, fire, police, EMS, all the, all the things we struggle with. So I'm pretty confident that we can get some movement there. Um, I think it could be a good session. An issue impacting our region as a part of the state bordering another state is that of tax reciprocity for residents of Wisconsin who work in Minnesota and vice versa. Likewise, the delegates are pushing for more equitable tuition reciprocity for students from one state who attend school in another. For schools within the state, University of Wisconsin Superior Chancellor Renee Wachter spoke of an envisioned comprehensive athletic center that could serve UWS, Northwest Technical College, and Superior Public Schools. Here she is in an exchange with Department of Administration Secretary Kathy Blumenfeld. We know that Saha, the Superior Amateur Hockey Association, has an arena. It's not in the best of shape. Um, they're talking about their facility, their, the way that the ice is managed could go at any point. And so we're trying to figure out if, if there's no sense in double investing in identical facilities. So is there a way to partner with oh, them? Oh, what a novel idea. And with a high school who rents from them and rents from us <laughs> to try to combine forces to perhaps create an addition on there. We've seen time after time that the projects that are community-based, you know, public-private, uh, everybody working together towards the same goal are the ones that are most successful and the ones that have the most lasting impact. So kudos to you for, uh, for this approach. But Superior Mayor Jim Payne took a more aggressive approach to State Transportation Secretary Craig Thompson in advocating for a path that could serve non-motorized traffic on the rebuilt Blatnick Bridge. Um, my issue is relatively brief. Uh, I want to talk about the Blatnick Bridge and uh, uh, very specifically the multimodal path, we're starting to get a little bit concerned. The, the city has had some pretty clear-cut positions in all of the planning to this point so far, and for the most part, we've gotten everything we've asked for out of the uh, design alternatives, except that all of the uh, remaining alternatives have an option still without that multimodal path. So. Uh, you know, we feel like we've been really good faith uh, partners in it. Uh, we've been fairly organized. I think the data reflects it. It even shows it in the public comment that this is necessary. Uh, and I guess what we wanted to express is that this is an absolute deal breaker for us. So the Blotnick Bridge lands in Superior's North End. As you know, it's a, Superior's a big triangle. And that's where our most diverse and low-income communities live. It's also 
uh, the closest connector between our downtown and Duluth's downtown. And as you know, if you don't have a car and you're trying to access Duluth, especially from that north end or any real populous part of the city of Superior, you're going as much as 15 miles out of your way. And sometimes it's next to impossible, depending on how well that, that one path at the Bong Bridge gets clear. So uh, what we're hoping for is, you know, we feel like we've done uh, kind of the polite and professional things we need to do. And so now we're trying to rally the Wisconsin side to say, this is a deal breaker. We think we've got the political support in Minnesota. We think the governor's with us, the legislature's with us. Uh, you'd think that would be enough, but we just would like to have a united front from Wisconsin that, you know, even at the planning meetings and, and any kind of public hearing, uh, hearings about it, we don't even want to see those options anymore that don't include that multimodal path. Because, uh, uh, you know, in the governor's uh, budget address, as well as this morning, he said, you know, that bridge has to serve everybody in Wisconsin, or in Superior, in Northwest Wisconsin. And uh, so we just, we, we no longer want to see options that don't serve everybody. So where people get boxed out, and I'm, I guess I'm so radical on this, I'm saying with the press in the room, no bridge is better than a bridge that doesn't serve everybody. So that that's the position that we're hoping to take and we're asking you to uh, get our back and be as loud as I am about it. <laughs> well, uh, appreciate that, Mayor. I appreciate the clarity. In all, the delegates from Douglas, Bayfield, Ashland, and Iron Counties presented lawmakers and administration officials with 13 specific requests. They're a bit too extensive to go through now, but stay tuned. We'll bring them to you in future editions of the show. As for an initial assessment of how the event went, we caught up with Mayor Payne just after he arrived home from the long drive from Madison. So you never get everything that you ask for at Superior Days, but this year was better than most. I feel really confident. Now, we will never know the success of our legislative efforts, or rather we won't know it for months and months. Mm -hmm. But I think we had extremely positive agency meetings. Uh, uh, the governor's administration is very supportive of everything we're trying to accomplish, uh, at least in the agency meetings that I was in. I haven't had a chance to do the follow-up with everybody else, but... Uh, I had some very positive meetings and uh, even on the legislative front, I feel very confident that the legislature and the governor both intend to strike a deal on local revenue and we should be receiving more revenue from the state next year. Mm -hmm. Do you think that might include the finally the sales tax uh, issue? That's what it looks like. Yep. Uh, I can't know what every detail is. In fact, I don't think the uh, any of Madison's leaders really know what the details are going to be yet, but uh, there's a lot of negotiation to happen, but it looks like everybody wants to make a deal. And that's always a good start. Right. And lastly, the weather. Uh, do you think that had any effect on maybe, I don't know, uh, forging an esprit de corps <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> you know, or something like that? I, I'm, I'm going to answer the question myself and say, I don't think it had a negative effect. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, this, uh, it's hard to count with some of the weird years and COVID and things like that, but I think this was around my 15th superior days. Mm -hmm. And I can count on one hand the times that we did not have bad weather at some point <laughs> during the week affecting somebody's travel, you know? Um, so it was, uh, this was a particularly bad storm. I know that superior days is not over for a lot of people. I know some people are going to stay as late as Friday 
just dodging the storm. Right. And I always worry about that. That will play a factor as we uh, choose the dates for next year and the years to come. Uh, but I don't think it negatively impacted us too much this year. All right. How was the drive, by the way? Uh, oh, pretty terrible. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jim Payne. Of course. Thank you very much. Coming up, it's some of the most recognizable music and is playing at a symphony near you. Welcome back to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington. If you think the symphony is all about the towering figures in classical music, from Beethoven to Bach to more recently William Grant Still, it is! But it's also about popular music, and there's no composer more synonymous with pops than John Williams. The longtime conductor and now conductor emeritus of the Boston Pops, he's best known for his movie scores, which everybody knows from Star Wars to Jurassic Park to Harry Potter, any one of which would cement his place in the Composer's Hall of Fame. And our own Toulouse Superior Symphony Orchestra pays tribute to him with an all-John Williams program this weekend. Here to tell us about it are conductor Dirk Meyer and principal saxophonist Greg Moore, who's also with the music department of the University of Wisconsin-Superior. Welcome to Simply Superior, Dirk and Greg. Good morning, hello. Hello, thanks for having us. So, John Williams' repertoire is so broad. Dirk, how do you decide which to do? You could do a whole season of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is very true, actually. And, you know, uh, throughout my career, I've done several all John Williams programs, and pretty much none of them were the same because there's just so much to choose from, you know. Um, but... Ultimately, of course, you know, you want to uh, represent the movies that, you know, everybody knows and loves. So you mentioned a few, you know, and E.T., Harry Potter. And, um, we actually then also decided to throw in a few things which are lesser known. And I, I always enjoy that because, you know, um, John Williams is such a versatile uh, figure and he actually... Um, got um, big allocates for arranging certain things as well. Um, I remember a few years back, for example, we did this big medley from Fiddler on the Roof, um, which most people don't know, but John Williams won his very first Oscar for this particular arrangement. And so on this one, we have, for example, a beautiful tango called Po Una Cabeza um, that was um, arranged by John Williams for Isaac Perlman and um, our very own uh, Aaron Aldrich, also, of course, professor at UWS, um, will play that one for us. And so there's there's definitely all the things that you're hoping for in a John Williams show, but there's also a few surprises that uh, you just might not be aware that this is has also some connection to John Williams. And I think you anticipated my next question because I heard a violin concerto of his recently on one of our classical sister shows, and I know he also has a symphony. Yes, yeah, he has two violin concertos, actually. The last one was it's just a few years old. It was written for Anne-Sophie Mutter. Um, 
And um, uh, we are going to have one more uh, little nugget, which is really an interesting thing. It's called the tribute to the film composer. And within five minutes or so, uh, John Williams arranged, I don't know how many, but it's countless tunes from famous movies and from famous film composers. Yeah. I believe he, he made this arrangement for... Uh, a, um, an Oscars night um, a few years back. Uh, it really is quite, quite, quite interesting and very funny to listen to simply because you, you recognize every tune. <laughs> so, Greg, you are a versatile musician. You play in the orchestra and also in, I think I can say, every jazz combo in the area. Williams' music may be outside of both of those categories. So do you approach it differently and how so? And I understand you have a solo on one of the pieces. Well, um, this is uh, John Williams' chance to, uh, to to stretch out on on his jazz side. <laughs> uh, the saxophone is kind of co-soloist with the uh, vibraphone, and uh, and I think uh, when you listen to it, you'll hear uh, a heavy jazz influence. I, I think this is John Williams having fun. Uh, it's a very challenging piece, um, and uh, I've been working on it hard for several months now. Very honored to be able to to uh, uh, to play this solo along with the fine uh, the orchestra uh, that I've been associated with for many years. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's hard work to put it together. There's some uh, the challenging stuff in there, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And what piece is it? Uh, it is called Escapades, and it is John Williams' orchestral adaptation of music from the film uh, Catch Me If You Can which uh, actually happens to be one of my favorite films. So uh, uh, I was very familiar with the, uh, the, the basic uh, themes uh, in, the, in the music. I had never uh, seen the full-blown orchestral uh, saxophone adaptation. Um, it's, it's funny, uh, he, he, um, uh, John Williams, I heard in an interview, really said uh, that it was about over the last 20 years or so that he really started having fun doing what he's doing and then this was and this was written around right around 2003 2002 so that would be about 20 years ago so maybe we can think of this as john williams starting to have fun we're speaking with dirk meyer conductor and music director of the duluth superior symphony orchestra and principal saxophonist greg moore we're talking about tomorrow's tribute to john williams on saturday afternoon and evening and it's not the first time the orchestra has done so. Let's hear a selection of John Williams' music from the 2021 season, and I won't even bother telling you what it is.
And that was the music of John Williams, I bet you can guess what it was, as performed by the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra during its 2021 season. They are again performing a tribute to the great movie score and pops composer tomorrow afternoon and evening, Saturday, February 25th, at Symphony Hall at the Deck in Duluth. So I originally asked you, Dirk, for a tape of your rehearsal for this performance, but found out you aren't doing one until tonight. So set me straight on rehearsals. How many do you normally do for maybe like a Beethoven program? And why is there just one for this? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, contrary to uh, what a lot of people think, the orchestra really doesn't rehearse together a whole lot. Um, of course, the musicians get the parts for um, the concerts several weeks in advance. Um, so they practice their part at home. But then we only come together really during the week of the concert. If we have a classical performance, we usually have four rehearsals. Um, so we basically treat it as three rehearsals plus a dress rehearsal where we really perform everything for ourselves, so to speak, just run through everything. And for Pops, we regularly just have one rehearsal. It's a little bit of a longer rehearsal. It's three hours rather than two and a half, but still it's just one rehearsal. And for most Pops repertoire, that's okay because it's just easier to play. John Williams is the one, uh, you know, that really stretches that concept because his music is not easy to play. <laughs> uh, by any means, um, it's actually quite challenging, and um, I, can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, so that it's definitely a challenge to put something like that together in one rehearsal. But you know, we're all professionals; we're all used to it. We we know what to expect, and um, so yeah, tonight we have our one rehearsal for tomorrow's performances. <laughs> Greg, how's that work from the players' point of view? Well, I'm just thankful that I got the uh, part uh, months ahead of time. Uh, it's just not the kind of thing that you can throw together a couple of weeks before the first rehearsal, that's for sure. Um, it, it's, as I said before, it's a technically very challenging piece. Uh, John Williams has uh, obviously listened to some modern jazz and has a lot of uh, crazy uh, uh, Charlie Parker type uh, saxophone licks in there. These are written for saxophone and vibraphone and uh and it's not the kind of thing that you just sort of casually uh, you know, look at a couple of times and go in. You have to uh, I've had to hit the uh, hit the practice room pretty hard the last few months. So uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, it's, it's an exciting challenge challenge for me. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Everyone knowing these works might be a double edged sword in that everyone has their idea of exactly how a piece should be played. I think I told you before, Dirk, of what I call my string theory, which is nothing to do with mathematics, it's all about music, that people tend to think that the first version they hear of a song or a work is the right one. So are there any disappointments or criticisms for your interpretation? People going, that's not right. Uh, you know, um, usually we don't get much criticism when we play John Williams at all <laughs> you know if, if the if the version varies just slightly you know um if anybody is not happy with that usually they don't say anything about it because they're still happy that they got to hear john williams <laughs> <laughs> greg how about from the performer's point of view well i i will say with escapades i think that the uh, audience that are familiar with the film will certainly recognize the themes. The, the themes are very memorable and uh, ear, ear, ear candy, so to speak, as a, as a lot of uh, John Williams' music is. However, the orchestral adaptation of it, I don't think is all that 
uh, uh, widely played, uh, to my knowledge anyway. Um, and uh, for for example, it was the new the work was new to me in this format. Uh, so I, I think that uh, it's going to be a new experience for the audience, and uh, I, I think they're going to like it. I mean, it's a very, if you if you've seen that movie, you'll come away humming the the themes, and uh, you know, and I think that'll be the case when they hear us. We're speaking with Dirk Meyer, conductor and music director of the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra, and saxophonist Greg Moore. We're talking about tomorrow's tribute to John Williams. Let's hear another selection from the 2021 season.
And that was music of John Williams as performed by the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra during this 2021 season. They're again performing a tribute to the great movie score and pops composer tomorrow afternoon and evening at Symphony Hall at the Deck in Duluth. Dirk, where do you think John Williams goes down in, I want to say, the history of orchestral music or maybe just music, which again might be asking you, where would you rank Mozart or the Beatles? Well, I'm 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 very sure that he will be remembered and he will go into music history for sure. It's not a name that will be forgotten. Um is he is he gonna be performed in two hundred, three hundred years from now? I don't know. I would think so. Um but that's time time will tell. Um but yes, certainly, you know, he has very much uh, put his stamp on uh the music of our time. And uh, actually, we'll probably have a little uh, chip implanted in our brain and we can just watch the movie in front of our eyes and we'll, we'll all carry John Williams' entire catalog in our brains in that little chip. <laughs> well, we already know all these songs, so he's already in our heads. So for now then, what are your John Williams favorites? Dirk? Well, you know, as a, as a hardcore Star Wars fan, of course, that is going to be my pick, of course. <laughs> And Greg? Uh, well, um, I, I, I hate to hate, uh, be a copycat, but uh, Star Wars came out when I was a senior in high school. And uh, just the other day, we heard the uh, the U Symphony play uh, the same arrangements that we're going to perform in conjunction with the U Symphony. And I can, and I still uh, got a chill when I heard the first opening theme. You know, it's it's like it just never goes away. And, and let's not forget something about John Williams uh, with Star Wars. He has really sustained and promoted the sound of the symphony orchestra as an ensemble in the generation of that grew up watching movies. So uh, one could argue that uh, he's been as strong a promoter of the symphony orchestra as an ensemble as Mozart and Beethoven and so forth. Uh, he certainly, certainly for younger people, that that sound is in their ears a lot of the time because of John Williams and that in that movie music. So I think that we're very indebted in orchestra world to John Williams. Um, Greg made a good point there. The Star Wars, which is the last number on the program, will be a side-by-side with the Youth Symphony. Ha! See? That proves it. His music is already lasting generations. <laughs> We've been speaking with Dirk Meyer, conductor and music director of the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra, and principal saxophonist Greg Moore. We've been talking about tomorrow afternoon and evening's tribute to John Williams. Thank you for joining us, Dirk and Greg. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robin. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington, and we're joined by Rick Lubbers of the Duluth News Tribune. Hello, Rick. Hi, Robin. And Shalon Monroe, multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Hello, Shalon. Hello, Robin. So, Rick, while Superior and Northwest Wisconsin folks lobby the Wisconsin legislature for their concerns, Minnesota lawmakers are looking at some statewide issues that actually affect our area. 
One is a sports betting bill. Yes, uh, it would certainly affect our local tribal gaming operations. Six professional sports teams have joined the State Tribal Gaming Association in supporting a bill legalizing mobile and in-person sports betting in Minnesota. Uh, legalizing sports betting would be the most significant expansion of gambling in Minnesota since tribal gaming started three decades ago. More than 30 states have legalized wagering on sports since the U.S. Supreme Court ended a federal ban on the practice in 2018, and all of Minnesota's neighbors have legalized sports betting in some form. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, Twins, Lynx, Wild, Timberwolves, and Minnesota United FC say they're joining the Minnesota Indian Gaming Association in support of a Democrat back proposal to give tribes the exclusive right to run sports betting in the state. The legislation was introduced on Tuesday. Uh, Representative Zach Stevenson of Coon Rapids sponsored last year's sports betting bill in the House. Uh, he said one way or another, people are betting that legalization would be the best way to manage the industry. Uh, under the legislation, the state's tribal casinos would have exclusive rights to run in-person and mobile sports betting. Lawmakers and others who support legalization argue keeping online sports betting illegal doesn't stop it from happening and instead drives people to black market options that don't offer any consumer protections. Stevenson's bill passed in the House last year with bipartisan support, but similar legislation failed to gain any traction in the Senate which at the time was under Republican control. Stevenson said a tax of 10% would bring in about 10 to 12 million a year. Tribal exclusivity has been a sticking point in negotiations over the legalization of sports betting in Minnesota. Horse track operators say getting left out of the biggest gambling expansion in decades could harm their business, as introducing a new form of gambling could divert dollars away from already legal gaming. But Governor Tim Walls in the past has said he'd only sign a sports betting bill supported by the state's tribal gaming association which opposes horse tracks being included all right well you recently gave us an update on a new library for duluth now there's another entity being planned with it yes uh mayor emily larson laid out preliminary plans wednesday afternoon to co-locate the city's workforce development center within its uh, downtown library she said the shared facility could take shape within the walls of the existing structure at 520 West Superior Street or might even result in the construction of a new building, explaining that her administration remains open to a range of options. The Lewis City Council will be asked Monday to approve $150,000 in funding to collect community input and hire an architectural firm to draw up pre-designed documents for a new multi-use building. Those city funds will be equally matched by the Duluth Library Foundation. Uh, Larson said the library already provides a trusted and welcome presence in the community. The Library Foundation was formed more than 30 years ago to support the public library and has contributed thousands of books and materials to the Duluth Public Library's collection through the years and has invested more than $1 million in support of its operations. The joint project could also better position the city to receive state funding. If the council signs off on the proposed plan, Larson said the initial $150,000 come from the federal pandemic relief funding the city has received as a result of the American Rescue Plan Act. Okay. And up the street from the library, the Duluth City Council will be getting some new faces because the old faces are bowing out. Yes, uh, we just learned this week that at-large Duluth City Councilor Eric Forsman announced that he'd be stepping down at the end of this year. Uh, he is the third member of the Duluth City Council to make it known that they will leave a seat open in the upcoming November election. At-large Councilor Noah Hobbs and First District Councilor Gary Anderson preceded Forsman in their decisions not to seek another term. 
uh, with this uh, mayor race also in play this year, coming election cycle could have a significant impact on the face of city politics. So far, Mayor Emily Larson has announced plans to seek a third term, but a challenger has emerged. Roger Reinert, former state legislator and city councilor, um, has thrown his hat into the ring. Uh, Forsman said it was important to make his attentions known well in advance of voting. He uh, was originally appointed to serve out the remainder of Alyssa Hansen's term in 2018 after uh, she gave up her seat to take a new job as president and CEO of Northspan Group Incorporated. Uh, he was subsequently elected to the post in 2019 and in 2022 was elected council president. Uh, Forsman said that while he deeply values the idea of public service, so as being available to all the memories that his kids are making. Uh, Forsman lives in Duluth's Kenwood neighborhood with his wife, Jessica, and their children, Amelia and Arlo. Uh, Forsman said his children were lobbying him hard to take a break. They even pushed the send button on the news release announcing his decision. The most uh, senior city councilors who have not yet announced their intentions regarding the coming election are Council President Janet Kennedy and 3rd District Councilor Roz Randorf, who both took office in 2020. Okay. Well, Shalon, turning to the courts, a serious case in Duluth has avoided trial and come to a conclusion with a judge's verdict. Yes, justice has been served for the family of Cameron Gordon. He is a three-year-old that was murdered in September 2020. Jordan William Carter waived his right to a trial by jury, opting for a trial to the court. And on Tuesday, Judge Teresa M. Neal gave Carter the second-degree murder verdict. Now, Carter initially said that the young boy was injured when he fell down the stairs at his home, but his death was later ruled a homicide. His sentence will be scheduled for a later date. So, you know, definitely initially a sad situation, but like I said, justice finally come for the Gordon family. All right. Well, finally, we told you all about Superior Days. The Spirit Valley Ski Recreation Area in Duluth has a promotion it's calling Duluth Days or something similar to that, Shalon? Yeah, so it's called Spirit Loves Duluth Days. And you got to think about with all this snow we got, what's a better way of enjoying it than getting out and skiing in it? And Spirit Mountain is hosting their $5 Love Duluth Days. Now, it starts today. February the 23rd and goes until Sunday, February the 26th. And it's giving discounted rates of $5 for tickets, rental, Nordic passes, and ski and snowboard beginners lessons for free. But there is a catch to it all. This discounted rate is for Duluth residents only. And you have to show proof that you live in Duluth in order to get these discounted rates. Okay, well, I won't make a judgment one way or the other, except to say limiting it to Duluth residents may not be completely in the spirit, if you will, of Twin Ports cooperation. But maybe if a Duluth resident and a superior resident show up together, they'll allow it. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> We've been joined by Shalon Monroe, multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Thank you, Shalon. Thank you so much, Robin. And Rick Lubbers, executive editor of the Duluth News Tribune. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Robin. You can stay updated on these stories and all the regional news. Again, that's Twin Ports, both sides, anytime at WPR.org, DuluthNewsTribune.com, and WDIO.com. And that's it for this edition of Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington. We leave you with more of the music of John Williams, performed by the Duluth Superior Symphony Orchestra. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>